Now, a little bit of context before we get into the, the passage I wanted to deal with this morning is that the church was growing tremendously fast during this time, as I've said for the past couple weeks. The death of Ananias and Sapphira didn't seem to damage or hinder the ministry of, of the church or the unity of the church. The apostles were healing people publicly and doing so in high-traffic areas. And one of the, the areas that I want to highlight this morning was is the portico of Solomon. They were healing people on what's called Solomon's porch. When word spread that the Christians were able to heal in the name of Jesus, people carried their sick, they carried their paralyzed, and even the possessed to the apostles, hoping that they would be healed. Now, throughout this message, I want to accomplish a few tasks with us this morning, that when we leave, we'll understand a few basic things. The first thing I want us to understand is that a Christian's faith is not only personal, but public as well. The second thing I want us to understand is Christians should be characterized by Christ-likeness. And third, Christians need to be free of spiritual affliction and uncleanliness. So if you have a copy of God's Word this morning, I want to encourage you to turn to Acts. Fifth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Acts chapter 5. We're going to be in Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16 this morning. Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. I'm going to read this passage. It's also going to be on the screen for you to read, and I would also encourage you to read it in the copy of God's Word that you brought with you this morning. It says in Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, Luke writes under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to, the, added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out their sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. I want us to begin this morning with our, or they'll look at this passage at the very beginning, at verse 12, where it says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. When we read or study a passage about healing, most of our attention is drawn straight to the details. We want the action, don't we? We want to know what's going on. We want to know whether there were deaf or blind people being healed or whether there were people healed from demon possession. Were the people sick or they couldn't use their arms and their legs? You know, we want to know the details of this passage that gives us a more full picture of what Jesus was doing. Now, in this passage, the details are interesting and the details are good. But the details of the healings don't seem to be the, the main idea 
of this particular passage as you read through it. In other passages, the details of the healing itself are exactly what the writer wants us to know. But here, Luke's emphasis is on how public these healings were. The type of people who were coming to Christ and how people were coming to the apostles from everywhere for healing. That seems to be the emphasis of what Paul is writing here. We read the apostles were healing people right out in the open, that this was secretive, that this wasn't in private, that this wasn't something that was being kept quiet or hushed about. This was a healing that was practiced regularly and done out in the open. And this was done in high traffic areas, a place where they would have attracted the attention of those who just a few chapters earlier were told by the religious authorities to not ever teach or heal or preach again in Jesus' name. If someone were to read this passage, perhaps the wrong way, they might be so inclined to read this passage as the apostles healing and doing what they were doing at Solomon's portico so freely and publicly as perhaps being a little defiant as being purposefully rebellion, or as the apostles pushing their luck with the religious leaders. But rather than defiant, using that qualifier to talk about who the apostles were in this verse, I'm going to choose to say that they were faithful. In the face of those who would say, no longer preach or teach in the name of Jesus. When it came to choosing between healing somebody in Jesus' name or running the risk of offending the religious leaders of the day or the authorities of the day, they chose to be obedient to Christ and be faithful to Christ. Faithfulness is an idea that I've really been diving into this year in my personal study in 2022. More specifically, what does it mean to be faithful as a church? To be faithful as individuals? And what does it mean for God's faithfulness to His people? How will the church of the Lord Jesus Christ be faithful when faced with challenges that test her resolve? Will we, as a corporate body here at Southside, will we be a people who are found faithful when Christianity is not the dominant worldview of most people in our country or most people in our county or most people in our city? Will we at Southside be found faithful in how we structure our families and how we raise our children? Will we be found faithful as a body at Southside, in our commitment to the authority of Scripture and the fidelity of God's Word, the apostles didn't allow the threat of the Jewish religious teachers to not teach or to preach or to heal in Jesus' name. They didn't allow that to overshadow Christ's commands to make disciples or to heal the sick or look after the orphan and the widow. And the apostles certainly didn't see the religious leaders' threats as a reason to keep their faith private, to keep it just within the church walls, or to keep it within the home walls. And neither should we if we are faced with the same. 
I want us to notice the location this morning as well. As you probably read this morning with me, they were at Solomon's Portico, which is a fancy way of saying Solomon's front porch. I brought a picture of Solomon's Portico with me this morning. Or actually, this is kind of like the, the temple area. Wake up. There you go. Now, remember a couple chapters back, the disciples got in trouble for healing somebody at the beautiful gate, which is right here. Where are the disciples in this story? They're at Solomon's portico, which is right here. And it's this area right here. You can kind of, it's kind of like the area that goes around it. And you can walk underneath it, you know. So the beautiful gate is right here. They're healing people just a little bit later, basically after these guys get released, right there. Now let's see the next picture. I kind of brought a little bit better picture. This is kind of an artist's kind of computer rendering of this uh, complex. There's the beautiful gate that they healed the lame man at at the begin or a couple chapters back. And again, right here, Solomon's portico. So they were right in the same vicinity of where they were told. Ne they were told never to teach or preach again in the name of Jesus. But they not only continued to do it, but they went back to the scene of the crime and kept doing it as if their faithfulness to God would never overshadow what the religious teachers threatened them with, which was to never teach or preach again in the name of Jesus. It's as if they were like, no, my faithfulness to Jesus is going to overshadow any threats that the religious authorities would give me in order to heal people and to tell people about the gospel of Christ. Now this took a lot of boldness, and this took a lot of bravery, but their decision... Friends, to be faithful was, was overarching and far more important than the threats they would have otherwise received. And instead of avoiding these, this place out of fear, they, were saying, they could have said, well, we're going to heal, but we're going to go somewhere else. Well, not only did they do that, but they also went back to Solomon's portico. Okay? Instead of avoiding this place out of fear, the apostles apparently made it a part of their everyday routine in doing ministry, and kept doing those things just a few dozen feet from where they were arrested earlier. And the question for us, the question for us is whether we will choose to be disobedient in the best way possible, if ever needed to be, will we gladly get into some good trouble if we had to, and choose faithfulness to Christ over fear. To choose faithfulness, obedience to Christ over threats from the outside. Now look at verse 13 together. Let's look at that. It says, now, it says, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. There are two ways, there are two different ways to interpret the first part of verse 13. Who are the, the rest, none of the rest dared to join them. The first way to interpret this, this passage is that the people who didn't join them were the people in general, like the general people who saw this healing and didn't dare join the church out of fear of the religious leader's threats. The second way to interpret this is that those who didn't join the apostles on the portico 
were members of the early church who may have been afraid of being punished by the religious leaders. Now, I agree with most theologians on this particular topic that it was members of the early church who were afraid to join the rest of the apostles at Solomon's portico. But either way, it can make a similar point. Now, the apostles were bold, certainly bold. And even though people were happy to see them, there was still a huge risk, a risk of being arrested by their religious leaders again, which they did get arrested again. If you continue to read the rest of the chapter, they do get arrested for what they just did. There was also a risk of possibly being attacked or shouted at or screamed at. And this teaches us very clearly about faithfulness even within the body of Christ and those who might not be where you are spiritually. We don't see, we don't see the apostles lamblasting the ones who were afraid or mocking them or rolling their eyes at them or calling them weak believers or complacent. Mature Christians know the, the right balance to strike with those who are spiritually younger in the faith. Instead of chiding these believers who were afraid of the possible results of disobeying the religious leaders, the apostles instead led by example and by moving forward and ministering at the portico, even if no one else joined them, they went. Your example may take a few times to be understood by the people in your life. It may take years too. It's your faithfulness in publicly and consistently living the Christian life that will be the greatest witness of all. It was their faithfulness and it was their consistency in the faith that led non-believers to hold the apostles in high esteem. The next thing Scripture says is that many people were added, both men and women, but it doesn't say everyone who heard were added. It just says that many people were added. Sometimes, many times, most of the time, the response to your faithfulness will be a no. When you witness to somebody, when you're faithful to Christ, uh, to your co-workers and to your friends, many times the response to your faithfulness will be rejection. Or it might even be met with indifference. But here's something to consider as well. The result of the apostles' consistent faithfulness at the portico gave an overall increase of the good reputation of Christianity among the people and among those who were probably actively seeking to persecute them. So every act of faithfulness, even when it may have been rejected by the hearers, it still contributed to the overall positive reputation of Christianity to the hearers and the seers of what the apostles were doing. And having people transformed by the gospel is certainly the goal. And a part of that goal is for us to build character reputations as people and as churches that precede us, that make others want the hope that we have. 
Of course we're commanded to go to the world. But in this instance, when the apostles were at Solomon's portico, they had a certain positive reputation that made people want to come to them. If you notice this, I mean, read it. The people were coming to them. And of course we're supposed to go. Of course we have a command in the Great Commission to go. But the people had such an overwhelming positive experience with the apostles that they said, we have to get to them. And I just wonder, are, are, are we the type of people who exude that kind of character, who exude that type of reputation, that even as we go, we have such a reputation that people want to come to us to find out the hope that we have. But before I go on, I want to make a clarification about reputation here. The passage said that they were held in high esteem. In other words, their reputation was built on character. If you want to have a certain reputation, all you have to do is simply mimic what you want to become. But if you want to be held in high esteem, that's a whole different thing than just a good rep. If you want to be held in high esteem as a believer, you have to be transformed from the inside out. Not just mimicking what behaviors you think will get a good response or, or people will see that and go, oh, I, you know, kind of manipulating somebody else's thoughts of you. If you want to have a, a good high esteem with other people, you have to be transformed from the inside out. Theologian Oswald Chambers, who he wrote the book, My Utmost for His Highest, a very, very famous devotional book. Um, he wrote this quote in the book, The Love of God, The Ministry of Unnoticed. He said that we are only what we are in the dark. All the rest is reputation. What God looks at is what we are in the dark. The imaginations of our mind, the thoughts of our heart, the habits of our bodies, these are the things that mark us in God's sight. Character is what you are in the dark. That's helpful for us to, to, to really internalize that. It's like we can build a good reputation, but good reputations are great, but it's not the end goal. And, it, and it's not the same thing as the high esteem that the apostles were being held with in this uh, particular passage, that they just didn't have a good rep. They had a, a stellar character. They had a reputation built on by character. Who they were in public was the same as they were in private. And our co-workers and our friends and our family members may just be unreceptive to our faith. But we need to consider how our character, even when unresponded to, contributes to the overall positive reputation and integrity that people have about Christ, about His church. And I think it's pretty fair to say that we're always having, 100% of the time, 24-7, 365, we are having character-building or character-destroying conversations with other people by the choices we make, the way we live, and the words we say. Now, I need some help really quick. Can I get a kid to help me in any way? Okay. Hey, Victory, let's go. <laughs> All right. 
Now, are, are you pretty brave? Okay, just make sure. Okay, I want you to stand right here. Right here. Well, can I back up a little bit? Now, turn around. Now. Do you trust me? Now, I've done trust falls before, but I'm going to make a, a different point with this. Okay, are you cool with her doing this, by the way? Okay. All right, now look at me. Keep your eyes open, and I'm going to ask you, you're just going to fall back, okay? But you're going to keep looking at that wall, okay? Keep your eyes wide open. I don't want you to get nervous, okay? Are you nervous? Oh, wow, okay, good. All right. Back up just a little bit. No, no, don't fall. <laughs> All right, ready? I'm going to say one, two, three, and you're going to fall, and I'm going to, I'm going to catch you, okay? I promise, okay? One, two, three, fall. Okay, now I'm going to up the ante just a little bit, okay? I want you to close your eyes. Can you do that? Okay, now you're going to fall a little bit further this time, but I'm going to catch you. have to close your eyes. Okay. Close your eyes. Now, you're going to fall a little bit further, but I promise you I'll catch you. Do you believe me? Do you trust me? All right, here we go. One, two, three. Okay, very good. All right, now everybody give her a hand because that takes a lot of boldness. Now you can go back to sit with your mom. Now, that, that took a lot of, of boldness. Now, imagine this, though. If I had Lila up here, okay, how do you think she would have felt if I caught her? And, I, and we, did, we did that same exercise. We did it ten times. But I caught her seven out of ten times. That's, that's an overwhelming majority of the time to catch her. Would she want to do it again if she fell only three times? That's not as many. Most of the time, I'm good. But just those few little times, I failed her. I would not, even, even though I would do good the majority of the time, she would see what I do as potentially dangerous. And I wouldn't have a good character witness when, with her when I told her and I looked her point blank and I said, I will catch you. And so I, I, want, I want to make this very clear to us. You know, we all fall. We all mistake, make mistakes. I am the chief of these people. But when we talk about Christian character in, in the public arena, like that's, that's what I'm talking about. Like even though people may reject us, even when we don't think people are watching us or listening to us or paying us any attention at all, guess what? Everything you do, everything you say, either is contributing or detracting. And it really kind of is that cut and dry most of the time with people especially if they have an axe to grind with faith. It's either contributing or detracting your character and by proxy the character of the church, capital C, and of the mission of Christ. So we, we have to be, if, if we're going to sign up on the line of Christianity, we have to be very cautious 100% of the time about how we live, not just because we want good reputations, but because we love Jesus. And we want other people to love Jesus as well. And notice it says in verses 14 and 15 together, it says, and more than ever, more than ever, because of their faithfulness in the face of potential consequences, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even 
they took the initiative and carried that even though we're called to them, they went and got their friends and brought them to the disciples and brought them to those that they knew after a period of time of being faithful and having good character, having good results, they carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that Peter came by at least, uh, that, that, that as Peter came by at least, his shadow might fall on some of them. That if they can just get close enough to these guys, that, that maybe some of it would rub off on them and they would be healed. And so I, wanted, I want us to notice this. I, I brought this kind of uh, way to understand it. Let's, let's catch the next slide if we can. Notice the disciples here. They were faithful. Their faithfulness plus consistency equaled character. And their character over time equaled trust with the people. So faithfulness plus consistency plus character plus trust over time equals results. Now, I'm not trying to boil down somebody coming to Christ into a simple mathematical equation. Okay? That's not what I'm trying to do. But I am trying to say that here's the overall tone of, of what could possibly lead to gospel conversations because of your life in your workplace and within your family. That these things compounded together give us a certain measure of credibility with those who don't know Christ. That we can be passionate, but we need these things in our life over time. We need faithfulness plus consistency in that faithfulness, not just once or twice. And that builds character and our character over time. They will begin to trust us. And all of those things together equals potentially, God willing, with the Holy Spirit, the conditions for the Holy Spirit to work and to build fruit and to result in fruit with other people's lives. And and I feel like this is... I can kind of pull this out from the Scriptures that this is what the apostles and the early church were doing. That they were faithful and consistent over time. That they, were, that they, they had the consistency and the character and the trust that to, to the degree that people were not just saying they're coming to them, but they're, they're, they're bringing the people to the, to the apostles and they're being healed. And the Holy Spirit worked in all of these conditions and variables to bring about the salvation of people and the healing of people they were ministering to at the portico. I want us to notice also that the fruit of the ministry that they had here, it led to more. The faithfulness of the people coming to Christ and then going out and getting their friends led to a compounding of fruit for the early church. Just as healthy apple trees produce seeds that can yield thousands more apple trees, healthy believers produce fruit with other people. Verse 15 says the new believers were carrying out their friends. They were carrying their friends who were sick, hoping that Peter would would just come near them. And just to be very practical this morning, do we radiate the, the presence of Jesus that when others are around us, they get into our presence, they feel as if 
they've been with the Lord himself. And I'm sure you have people in your life just like that, that when you get around that person, it feels as if you were around the Lord himself, that they have such a character and investment into your life. And here's the deal. When you have those people in your life, I guarantee you, friends, you want to be just like them. And you want to emulate everything they do. Does our mere presence both encourage and challenge others to be closer to Jesus? And you may not heal them of physical diseases like the apostles, but do others feel that something has been healed and, and, and mended in their hearts when you are around them? That the investment that you make in them heals and mends their souls. Not because you're anything to speak of specifically, but that you allow the Holy Spirit and you yield your life and your personality and your emotions to the personhood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit to work through you in the life of others. And I'll be honest with you, this, this starts chiefly, this starts chiefly at home. Nothing would thrill me or the Holy Spirit, quite frankly, more than for anyone in this room to reach their co-workers and their friends. That's a fantastic thing. That's obedience to Christ. That's exactly what we should be doing. But friends, the first place that this work begins, that we see the apostles doing, is in homes. The place of healing and restoration starts in your home with your spouses and your kids. My preaching professor in seminary said on a, on a podcast recently that the number one proof of the effectiveness of your ministry, now remember he's talking to pastors, but I think we can apply this to our life too. He said the number one proof of effectiveness in your ministry is not the size of the church. It's not the amount that you contribute to Lottie Moon or the amount of money that you bring in or the amount of missionaries you send or the books you've written or the keynote addresses that you've given at a conference. He said the number one proof of the effectiveness of your ministry is your wife. And the, num and the second is your kids. What they say about you, who you are in private, not just in the pulpit. Talk about convicting. And does your character in the pulpit match the character outside the pulpit. And, does, and, and is that the same for us this morning? Mom, Dad, does our character outside the Sunday morning match what we do throughout the week? And again, that advice was for pastors, but it can be easily applied to anyone. And youth, singles this morning, I don't want you to check out on this part either because I'm talking about marriage and families. This has just, this is very important for you as you go into the future. So married couples, one of the top indicators of the genuineness of your faith is not whether people here or at work think your faith is genuine. It's whether your spouse and your kids would agree that your faith is genuine. Those are the people who know you best. Those are the people who are around you all the time. Would, you, would your kids agree? Would Elijah agree? Would Emma agree? that mommy and daddy's character is so strong that they practice Monday through Saturday what they profess to believe on Sunday? 
Would your husband or wife, the person who knows you best, agree that your character is so strong that you practice Monday through Saturday what you say you believe on Sunday? Because Christians should be characterized by Christ-likeness. In verse 16, this is the last verse I want to look at this morning. Verse 16 says that the people also gathered from where? Across from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing, right? Bringing the sick and those afflicted. By the way, we, just because we're in this building, we are the ones also who are bringing. That when we're out in homes and schools and places of work, we are the ones who are also being proactive to bring. Bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. And they were all. Did y'all hear that phrase? I love that little nuance. They were all of them healed when they responded in faith. The apostles and the early Christians' reputation for character and for healing extended beyond their location to the city around them. And I want us all to see how the apostles didn't shy away from the challenge or from the unclean spirits, but they challenged them. There's an aspect of spiritual confrontation that we do as Christians. The apostles did not take a a patient or an indifferent position when it came to unclean spirits. They were over-the-top loving and over-the-top kind with people, but they didn't waste any time coming at unclean spirits who attacked those who were made in God's image. And neither did Jesus. He wasted no time coming at them. We live in a society that is afflicted in more ways than we can count. We love people and we care deeply for those made in His image, but we should be quick to rid ourselves of those things which afflict those made in God's image. And that includes the things that are in ourselves and in other members of our family. Here's the big question. Do we keep things in our lives that spiritually afflict us? Purposefully, willingly, and don't bat an eye about it. You may be asking whether I'm saying you're possessed by an evil spirit. I'm not. But you certainly may be holding on to things or participating in behaviors, or addicted to substances that could easily be seen unclean from a Christian perspective. And it'd be a shame, friends, if we read this passage knowing that the ones afflicted by unclean spirits in verse 16 were those who were outside the faith only to walk out the doors this morning afflicted by unclean spirits and addictions and behaviors of the day while claiming to know Jesus. That right there is spiritual affliction. That right there is scriptural or spiritual paralysis. We are never, as people, especially as believers, spiritually neutral. And neither was Jesus. Jesus himself makes this shocking claim when he cast out unclean spirits himself in Matthew 12, 
27 through 30, and it'll be on the screen behind you, or behind me. It says, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, or Satan, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me. Jesus was very shockingly clear on this point. I'll read it again. Whoever, that's you, that's me, is not with me, is against me. And who does not gather, scatters. It's one of the most blunt statements Jesus ever made. But it's very true. And it's very sobering for you, for me, for all of us, as we leave this building in about a few minutes and we consider who we are and what our task is in our world. So again, big questions that need to be answered this morning is whether we are being sent by Jesus this morning to those who need the gospel to bring them in, or do you find yourself this morning really think about this? as the one who perhaps needs to be brought to Jesus in the first place. That you know you do not have a relationship with Him. And that you are the one who needs to be brought to Jesus. How we answer that question this morning will direct our response to Jesus today and in a few minutes. If you feel that you're being sent to your coworkers, to your friends, and by the way, if you're a Christian, congratulations, that's you. If you feel like you're being sent, I want us to consider, seriously consider, our character, our consistency that speaks 24-7, 365. We all fail in this, but I want us to really consider the areas where we could tighten up. I also want us to consider whether we're willing to put those things into action over the course of time and maybe even invest in years of being faithful for the purpose of love and, and for those who, are we, who we're trying to reach. This isn't asking for, for, for perfection, but I am saying that we should be considering our faithfulness and our consistency over the long haul of our life. These are the things that give us ground and a sure footing moving forward, not only as a church, but who we are as believers. And if we find ourselves in need of being brought to Jesus this morning, know that He will never turn you away. He will never drop you. He will never fail you. And His character is absolutely 100% perfect. He is unfailingly faithful. And if you feel that tug in your heart this morning, and you just don't know why, let me tell you, it's the Holy Spirit of God drawing you to Himself. You can't do this on your own. It's a gift from the Spirit. Don't shut that feeling down, but respond to it this morning. As our team comes to lead us, let's pray together and respond to the Spirit. Father, we love you.